Welcome to the Norfolk Folklore Society. We're your hosts. I'm Shifra. I'm Stacia. And on today's episode, we're going to be telling the tale of the good sword of Windfarthing. Yes, I don't know why are. I've been so drawn to this story recently, because Pete is wonderful. So <laughs> yeah, get that in first. Yeah, this just is like just about, he doesn't about not to liking the podcast anyway. <laughs> not liking your husband um, or, or kind of wishing him ill. Yeah. Um, but I imagine it's because you've been watching Merlin. Yes, I've been watching a lot of Merlin, which oh, I feel a bit bad about. It didn't end great. It's. I felt anyway. That's a whole nother podcast. My review. Why did it not? I mean, it's five I mean, series. We know how it ends, obviously, but it just yeah. felt. I don't know. It felt like it would have been better if it was the adventures of Merlin up until he reached Camelot and him discovering his magic. But it was just That's a really clumsy title. Yeah, that would be really. <laughs> <laughs> but best series. <laughs> well, I suppose with no further ado, yes, we should we tell the we story? Inform uh, our listeners of the magical sword of Winfarthing. Okay, I'll start, shall I? Go ahead, caller. Um, a legend in Winfarthing claims there was a duel between two knights who were fighting over the same woman. One knight killed the other and, fearing retribution, sought sanctuary in St. Mary's Church. The knight of Winfarthing lived to fight another day but left his sword the murder weapon in the church where it became a relic and was said to boast supernatural powers would you like me to continue well these powers um were said to be several things weren't they but the main one the kind of headline grabber is that if you had an abusive husband or just a husband you didn't like frankly mm. um you could pop along to st mary's it's a bit of a kind of heavy heavy load really isn't it because you had to go every Sunday for a year and light a candle every Sunday and if you missed any of those Sundays the spell wouldn't work so there's only one like official record of this which is by Thomas Beckham um, who wrote about it in 1563 and he said among other things the sword was visited far and near for sundry purposes but specifically but especially for things that were lost and for horses that were either stolen or run astray. It also helped with shortening a married man's life if that life, if that, if that the wife was weary of her husband. Weary wives, it said, could set a candle before the sword every Sunday for a year, missing not even one, and the situation would be dealt with. I mean, I don't know why he didn't lead with that element, because yeah, that's well, way more interesting. Him. It was probably more important that you could get a missing horse back mm. than it was that you could, that if he was a woman, he could get rid of his husband. Mm. But um, I mean, he Beacon was a little bit of a dodgy character anyway. Well, yeah. Although I, on my notes, I wrote he was a bit boring, <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't really. I suppose a bit harsh. <laughs> I he was saying. exiled to Europe, wasn't he? Because of his uh, yeah. his racy sayings, I think. Um, but if that's boring to you, then yeah, yeah, I just ended fine. it back all a bit boring. That was all like the end boring. of my notes on him. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, I mean, he <laughs> he was yes, he kind of seemed to. He also did not link that tale to a knight, did he? 
no so he is quite interesting because i don't know where that night because his is really like it seems like all of her store like interpretations of the story kind of come from that one but the yeah. more common told one i believe that i could find anyway was uh it was a thief and yeah. a thief um sort of sanctuary in the church and then snuck out basically and left the sword behind well there's a bit more to the account which i found which is that he so that this thief goes in is um in the chapel seeking sanctuary and beacon adds that the villain managed to escape quote through the negligence of the watchman mm-hmm. and escaped leaving behind his sword the sword was placed in an old chest mm-hmm. and then there's a bit that says the sword was afterwards through the subtlety of the parson and the clerk of the same parish made a precious relic full of virtue able to do much but especially to make fat the parson's pouch <laughs> yeah i saw that one bit as well yeah so you kind of think, well, it's kind of, I suppose these were the days when it really did befit you to have a relic or, mm. although this is a really rare one. So normally your relic will be, you know, the fingernail of Christ or, I don't know, God's, I was about to say something rude, but I'm not going to, God's um Well, there's a Jesus' foreskin kicking around. I was about to say that word, but then I realised we can say that. Yeah. Um, You know, it, it, or... <laughs> All right, let's not think about the sword in that in that in that way. Um, so you know, it's normally something religious, isn't it? Whereas this obviously is the sword of a a knight or a thief. Mm. Um, but I guess if you needed people to come to your church as part of a pilgrimage, and everybody was on the the kind of hunt for pilgrims in the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth century, Norfolk was big on pilgrims yeah i'd imagine Windfarthing wanted to get in on that action in on that hot pilgrim action and um they didn't have anything and so they did have well i mean who knows if they had a sword or not it, i mean it, it's you know it, it's it's mentioned in several tales so i think they possibly did bit odd for a knight to leave his sword yeah, I would it's say. All, like i think it's the whole thing of it not if i mean it was quite clearly if in like 1560 three or whenever it was I said that he read like wrote this down if even then he was like it's nothing just making the parsons purse yeah yeah filled yes I don't know it's weird that it wasn't attributed to some kind of holiness like because they quite clearly made it up yes and it's acknowledged they that they'd made it up yes why did um, they make it up saying oh what makes it special even if it was a knight or a thief like what made it special I like the fact that they also put it in a chest quite a long time while they thought this up. So it wasn't like it came and then they immediately thought, oh, there's a magical sword. They did like put it in a, you know, it's in the lost property bin um, for a bit and then kind of thought, what's in there? You know, there's a hat, there's probably some buttons. We need something, you know, is there a Christ's buttons in there? No. Um, So we'll have the sword. Yeah, I think um, it was quite um, interesting because I, I was trying to do a bit of a timeline on the story. So the church, um, St. Mary's, was built around like sometime in the 1200s, so that's 13th yeah. century. Thanks. And the sword was lost in the Re- Re- Reformation, which was 1532. So it was about 350 years for this story to like yeah. develop. And when Beacon, Beacon, how do you say it? Beacon or Beacon? You say Beacon, I say Beacon. Let's call the Reckon whole thing Beacon. Beacon. 
Beacon. Beaky. Yeah. Um, Him. He spoke to people who remembered seeing the sword. So I guess it could have been in a chest for like 200 years. Mm. And then someone, you know, it's just been forgotten about. And then it, it some of it has gone. Yeah. Oh. It kind of makes more sense if the if if those who prayed to it, kissed it, crouched by it, which is mm. what Beacon says, Beckon, whatever says, then it makes more sense that it would be the sword of a knight because mm. otherwise it's possibly stolen. Um yeah. and or the sword of a wrong one. Um, And so you'd kind of think that it wouldn't be venerated, wouldn't you? So I guess maybe it was left by a thief. And if you're going to make up a story, you're going to make one up about a good crusading knight Mm. um, popping in and leaving it almost as a thank you Mm. uh, for for, for the sanctuary um, rather than somebody who nicked it and uh, and just left it there because he didn't want to run with it in case. Because we know you do not run with knives or scissors (laughs) because it's... Yeah, all sorts, because it's not very wise. It is really interesting, though, like, thinking, you know, Beckon's account of it is, like, as close to the original story. So, and he, so he lived in Thetford for, for a while, but he got up to some shenanigans and didn't actually stay around in Norfolk. So he only probably knew this story when he was a child. Yeah. So he's, like only got like verbal sort resource like sources for it so it's interesting to know like I don't know the varying tales which were told in the community and and how come those tales haven't like been carried through in other places I don't know yeah that's quite interesting I think it's I think it's really interesting too that there's a a kind of folk magic spell with the women uh, mm. but not with the horses or the lost property. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you just popped in if you lost your keys or, you know, your phone. Yeah, you didn't then, have to, like, go through any kind of ritual. To, yeah, when you know, it. so not only are you a woman in an abusive relationship or a woman married somebody you hate, mm. uh, you've also got to spend a year trying to make excuses to pop out. I mean, I suppose at least you could do it on us. But to be fair, if this legend is known, if your wife is kind of like, I just need to pop to the South Isle quickly. Uh, I thought I'd light a candle, you know. Nothing to do with the sword. Nothing to do with the sword. You'd get a bit suspicious, wouldn't you? And actually, in one of the accounts, like, much later, this was, like, in um, 1800s, um, someone does actually... So a vicar called Reverend R. Hart, who was the vicar of Catton at the time, did a talk about shrines of Norfolk, and he mentions the wind-farthing sword. Um, and he says, um, he kind of finishes his little bit with saying, a suspicious husband, if he occasionally examined his ch- chandelier's bill, would easily avert his impending fate. <laughs> so right. basically, like, if he realised there's, like, a lot of candles going in the mis- uh, yeah. being used in the uh, vicinity of wind farthing. It's not, it's not like even now, is it, where you could kind of say, I just need to pop out, get some petrol, or yeah. I just, you know nip out and get a bar of chocolate you there are no real excuses to be in church unless you're there with him on a sunday mm. worshiping it you know it's difficult to just pop out with a candle and go and crouch by a sword i would say mm. possibly um but i mean you know you, you kind of think these women must have been absolutely desperate must not they these were times when you 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 basically were shackled to some yeah. absolute 
I did look into that a little bit and I was actually so my first assumption was like oh well it would probably be the only option for women but actually divorce although divorce wasn't common it did happen and surprisingly a woman could instigate that divorce and there were certain um like um reasons I guess why um a divorce could be asked for so there's things like um impotence especially like a woman can say my husband is impotent I'm not going to have any children divorce um carrying out of a crime um a blood or spiritual relationship between the individuals incest yeah (laughs) basically um so there's a few things like that but where the actual problem arose was you needed proof and you needed money and both of those things especially for a woman were very difficult to like to get and that's where the actual like problem of divorce really why it was so difficult um and I also thought like becoming a widow I mean things must have been really bad if the woman saw becoming a widow as a good option at that time because unless yeah. she's got someone else lined up she yeah. was gonna be really in a really in a pickle Difficult position <laughs> yeah I mean you know and another of these divorce um proceeding or divorce proceedings could be brought for excessive violence but this is at a time when non-excessive violence was seen as perfectly reasonable so you were if you were a man able to give your wife a clip around the ear if she annoyed you because that wasn't except that was kind of like you know absolutely fine um you know if she got a bit mouthy then give her a bit of a, a smack and you know bob's your uncle she'll behave so it was a kind of there's a very fine line isn't there between excessive and I mean, obviously, today we would see any form of the hand being risen mm. as um, as wrong as it is wrong as it was then. Mm. But these were times when you were you were possession. You were yeah. your husband's. You know, that's the whole business of names and 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 being given away by a father. All that stuff that probably you and I hate about marriage. Then the, the you know the kind of take. I mean, oh, let's not judge. Because lots of people will be taking their, family, you know, the husband's mm. names. But the, I, I found that bit quite hard. The whole, yeah. you know, the yeah. whole ownership part of marriage, because that for me is not what marriage is. And the whole giving away, you know, like I mean, obviously my dad was dead, so that was fairly easy to get off. But you know what I mean? Yeah, we were a possession. Yeah, you were part of his estate, and therefore it was easy to it was really easy for men to get away with awful things yeah and I guess as well like at a time when although I think adultery was probably something that was on the list you could ask for if if the man was in control of that situation and didn't want to divorce you you had no no option like so and if you had children you've got to provide for those children haven't you and if he's either dead or you know, it probably for, for the reality for most women was that him dying was the only way out. Mm. And, you know, you as you say, you've got to be pretty desperate to find, uh, try folk magic in order to mm. off him. And kind of with the, you know, if you're doing it in church, there's almost like if you went to your, your village witch or cunning woman, then suddenly you're, you're a criminal, aren't you? Mm. Whereas if you're in a church... 
mm. and you're it's praying for help. It's a bit yeah. like the I think we mentioned it in us in the story we wrote first up. You know the 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 sort of dear old Saint Uncumber, um, whose name I cannot pronounce when you don't call her that. Mm. With, Is it Wilberforce or, or something? Isn't that a road in, in North Earlham? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but so she, you know, was was the patron saint of of, of abused women, wasn't she? Because mm. she was forced to enter into a, a, an arranged marriage by her father, and on the night of the wedding, <laughs> in a brilliant, brilliant move, she prays to the Lord, who she I think she wanted to be a nun. They normally mm. do, don't they? She prayed to the Lord, and overnight grew a massively hairy beard. Uh, which put off her fiance, and they did not marry. So, you know, you can see that this was entrenched in mm. you know these these feelings of of having to do something drastic in order to escape. You Is, know, you- like what you're saying about it not having like like if 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 they were praying to Saint Uncumber again, there wouldn't be like a ritual associated with that. But the fact that it's like there's this very specific like ritual for folk magic that's happening in a church that was like something that really like I was like that's a bit of a strange element to the story as well it is but I I genuinely think that they would feel it was that any kind of woo woo type Mm. witchcraft you know dark forces is is cancelled out well I actually found something in a church quite interesting about that um so um I kind of started looking into when the idea of a witch being like evil and malevolent and like a, a threat to the the church when that kind of became a problem and actually when looking at the little timeline that I put together very basic timeline but still a timeline um, still valid yeah um this happened the time when the church would have when the sword would have been in the church was actually before witchcraft became persecuted so the church were like they didn't love it but they were like it's not enough of a threat to us for us to like be dicks about it mm-hmm. <laughs> like so so actually um it was just looked on as like people were being a bit foolish I basically I found this really interesting website called medieval history and I'm just going to read an extract from it because it really actually helped me get my head around the whole mm-hmm. thing So the idea of witchcraft and sorcery certainly existed in 1300, as indeed it had for centuries, but it's far more loosely defined. It was not particularly associated with devil worship. Concepts such as witch marks and black Black Sabbaths were unheard of. When people thought of witches and sorcery, they were no more likely to think of, of women than of men. Indeed, the practice of magic was by no means automatically associated with anything inherently evil or harmful. The official church teaching for most of the Middle Ages was that those who practiced magic were delusional and foolish rather than evil. The relationship between medieval society and magic was therefore ambivalent. On the one hand, there was no denying that the church disapproved of it, but on the other hand, the church saw no need to proactively persecute it. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm. It wasn't until um, it became linked with heresy. So when that kind of act of, um, I guess, talking about another religion, talking about another type of worship, that, and King when it James, became, I guess. Yeah, King James. That's like that whole, that was a whole massive turning point. But that is when it kind of became with, I'm worshipping the devil. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. 
I'm not worshipping God. Whereas before that, it was like, I'm still worshipping God, but also I'm going to put a toad on my mole. Because <laughs> why it, not? It wasn't like considered like that much. It wasn't heresy. It was mm. something like quite a bit different. And I guess like going back to that, like idea that the sword was um, a, a relic. So it was something that had been like given the go ahead by the church. Yeah. Um, it made yeah. it all okay. And I think and that's I guess like really unique. The sword has been linked with kind of stories and legends for centuries, hasn't it? Back to Beowulf, Beowulf <laughs> as we called him at school. <laughs> ho ho. Uh, Beowulf and Jason and the Argonauts, King Arthur, you know, so a sword is already kind of imbued with that kind of idea of magic in the first place so you can see why they kind of fell on it with joy because these you know swords are kind of like linked to stories of conquest murder ancient religions traditions and it kind of represents not only male power I guess if we're being honest Mm -hmm. um but also angels also heroes you know slaying dragons Mm. and it's a kind of really potent potent image throughout history isn't it I mean I'm sure we both looked up many many uh swords that are magical and most of which I don't know if you found the same thing I can't pronounce and I can't (laughs) pronounce the names of anyone involved with them and I'm not going to (laughs) try I just found I was I kept looking for oh that sword sounds cool and I'm like oh god you know, it's like I don't know. It's kind I of just like. I couldn't find um, any other examples, and I, I like this. Uh, yeah, like this specifically, but also necessarily that were like relics. No, yeah. unless unless you you reframe that idea and think that, say, the Vikings would passed down their swords Mm. um, through generations and that everyone who was killed by that sword would be believed to be within that piece of metal. Um, You know, so they would kind of, those swords would become magical Mm. almost when they weren't. They were literally a killing machine, but they would take on power and so kind of in their own way become something magical that is passed down and that would be revered just because it's like killed loads of people it's so weird like this story like I mean it it probably was just completely made up but the fact that they didn't go down the route of this sword was actually used by a woman to yeah to kill her husband to kill her husband or to protect herself from her husband or like the fact that it's actually got nothing really to do with a woman no, is quite odd, he and, would and be beheaded or something, or that yeah. he would be sliced down, or yeah, yeah. or, the, or it, again to make it the relicy element. I guess something happened to the woman with that sword. Like, I don't mm. know. It's really strange that they didn't go down that angle with it. It was like two knights fighting over a woman, but the knight didn't sacrifice himself or it doesn't say that he he was protecting her from her husband or anything it's like it's really strange (laughs) I think the whole folklore involving swords is kind of it it must be directly because making these swords 
was so hard Mm. that it almost became like a magical process that you know before sword we were beating each other about with bits of bone yeah and you know kind of it was it was kind of the the smithies who who found this magical way of making that metal mm. incredibly strong and you know all this business we you, you hear with samurai swords where they're folding the metal mm. um, although apparently that's all nonsense and they can only fold it up to about five to anyway who cares it's maths but um you know it is a kind of mad crazy alchemy at a time when things are really not particularly you know technological mm. so you can see why the the whole business with swords has become has become what it has yeah and did you look back at kind of some of the things that swords are said to be able to do no what what could That's they a do nice one. So um, one of them is, so the Celts would add magical inscription to their swords to give them extra power, like in Braveheart. Um, in, during the 1890s, toothaches were said to be cured by rusty swords. I, I have no idea is how. That putting a rusty sword in your mouth, that doesn't sound yeah. very good. Doesn't sound very sensible, does it? Don't try that at home. Mm-hmm. Although you might have to at the moment because you can't get dentists. Um, an account from Sweden in the 1920s reported that inverted commas bad iron which is knives axes swords and bayonets used to commit murder should be used to stroke a sick limb i.e one that is swollen or has a tumor to cure it which i guess is the same thing as a hangman and you brush his dead finger over your so i guess boy. that kind of thing would make more sense for this sword because it mm. was used for murder it was used for murder, yeah. Um, this is a sword stroke women thing. In Germany, in post-medieval times, as if childbirth wasn't bad enough, um, bronze or steel swords would be hung over the head of women to aid the speed of labour. Is that I so you get out the mean, way of them quick enough? Yeah, I don't know if it's like someone going, I've had enough now. You know, here's what, if you don't do this, then I'm getting it out. <laughs> um, if a sword has been used to behead a person, if you then dip it in wine... It will impart a medicinal virtue to the liquor. Sword obviously still used for the coronation of the Queen and King of England and to open Parliament every year, uh, as it is a symbol of royalty and justice. Um, According to 19th century folklorist James Bonwick, Irish swords will turn against their owner and speak their curses if they take false trophies in battle. I don't know what a false trophy is. No, I was just going to say, what does that mean? And kind of one of the most modern ones I found, which was during World War II, Allied Gurkha troops were noted to always prick their finger when returning their knives, which were would have been swords a few generations down. This was done because of a tradition that stated the weapon could not and should not be returned to its sheath by a living Gurkha without tasting blood. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, lots of, I mean, I'm sure you've looked up some magical swords. I did, but I also focused on, I got very sort of sidetracked down the whole thing of witchcraft in that era. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Stacia's going to look into magical swords. Magical swords. <laughs> yes, Excalibur Obs is, uh, is the kind of the OG. I wonder if swords. like one thing I didn't look at, which maybe I should have done is like, when did the king arthur stories come out well um 
I found a story which says that Excalibur may be based on fact. I mean, obviously, you probably believe that it is anyway, regardless yeah. of this story. But um, there is a true Stone of the Sword, Sword of the Stone, which exists and can still be visited. I think today. I saw a picture of that, but it's it's not in it's not in Norfolk. <laughs> it's not in Norfolk. I break you that now. But Where it is, is it? in Tuscany, which uh, is yeah. nice to go to. I did see so, that, like I did see a picture of that and it looked really cool. The one reason I'm wondering about like when the King Arthur stories came out, because I'm wondering if maybe <laughs> sorry, um swords were like on trend. And so they're like the people at Wimfarving were like, Oh, have we got an old sword sword kicking about? Everyone's going on about magical swords right now. Oh um, yeah, we've got this one in the in so, the shed. <laughs> oh, do you know I have written this down somewhere? I'm just looking. Because it was supposedly given to a king. It was found. I'll have to look through it. But this one in this one in Tuscany was in the eleven the, the early eleven hundreds. Okay. Um, and he he basically obviously was kind of having a lovely time with God and had a vision and he thrust his sword into a rock, giving up a life of war and violence for that of a hermit and adoring the upside down sword, which resembled a Christian cross. And the sword is still hilt deep in the stone at the Abbey in Tuscany. Um, so, so that is said to be the 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 origin story of of King Arthur. Well, that kind of ties in. So I just googled it. Geoffrey uh, of Monmouth wrote his Historia Jeffrey. Regum oh. Britanniae history of the kings of Britain in about eleven thirty six. Yeah. So possibly not too long after the church was built. Swords would have well, been people, big. Yeah, people will have known that story and it probably just would have been getting going, really. It takes a little yeah. while for a story to catch on, especially when you haven't got Google and the yeah. internet. It's hard. So I wonder if that's kind of where it came from. Like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And interesting. I kind of, I, I, I feel that swords would have been, they would have been really high tech. They would have been kind of, in a world where everything was very low tech, these swords, because people who had them were rich and because they were often, if they were rich, then they went over the top and they were inscribed and they were, you know, they were beautiful things. Mm. You can see why. Like. Well, it depends if it's uh, whatever. I think it would, would have looked quite nice because, mm. um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a thing that's made by... A, a craftsman which again you know they most things were just practical weren't they mm. and I don't think the idea of beauty and utilitarian objects really I don't know not for not for poor people it would so it probably would have been quite quite impressive and um, I suppose even if it if it was all rusty and stuff that still would have added to the like the history of it you know people would have been like oh we've got this relic this ancient relic that has magical powers look how old it looks or yeah. it could be like like really highly polished and decorated so it looks like really impressive the bomb yeah but we'll never know yeah, but I, I wonder was, if I they gonna... just took it in the reformation well do you know I, I i've rewritten this story which i we will put on the website um so i'm going to send it to you later so i've rewritten it and i've added a quote from the wonderful simon knott 
who um, is the curator of norfolkchurches.co.uk, which I must use all the time. I do occasionally send him a, a PayPal donation because I feel so bad that I use it. And uh, what I love about Simon Knott is everything. But um, And he's currently writing a book um, with Cameron Self and John Fielding, photographer, wow. about lost villages. That's going to be a cracker, isn't it? Which would just be amazing. And I was so excited because I went to Little Witchingham Church a couple of weeks ago and I looked in the visitor book and the last one to go in there was Simon Knott. And oh I was like, ah! <laughs> uh, oh, Simon. Um, but Simon has kind of catalogued every church in Norfolk. And Suffolk, I think. Um, what I loved about him, I can't remember when he told me this uh, years and years and years ago, uh, but he told me that because he was so annoyed with journalists at certain local papers stealing wholesale um, tracts of his stuff, that he would occasionally throw in a complete lie. <laughs> um, so they would then print the lie because yeah. they wouldn't check it elsewhere. So I've always had that in mind, and I think that's brilliant, and I might start doing that. But um, he writes of Windfarthing. Today, the sword itself is lost, gone astray like so much else in the Holocaust of the Reformation. But what became of it? Perhaps it was melted down or perhaps it was buried and it still lies under the ground somewhere in the fields of South Norfolk. And I thought, oh, that's quite nice, isn't it? kind of a detectorist vibe. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? Like, it could just be buried, like, in the churchyard or somewhere. So it's still there. So, yeah. Like, I yeah, and even, power still like even the idea of it being melted down and becoming whatever it became, mm. you know, either way, there's magic there, isn't there? It's there's either... like some, like, I don't know, a spoon or something that is like got its pat like that power. And all you need to do is go to it every Sunday, <laughs> light a candle, and actively wish your husband to die. You know, so try it with any spoon. Yeah. Really. That's <laughs>